0: Welcome to the Changing Mission podcast brought to you by the Outreach Foundation. My name is Marcus DePaula, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with mission advocate, Dr. Jeff Ritchie. It's good to be speaking with you, Jeff.
1: Likewise, I'm glad to be here with you. So let's start off
0: our conversation by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how long you've been at the Outreach Foundation.
1: Marcus, I uh, was a missionary in Korea with my wife and family in the 1980s. And from that time, I had a sense of being called to a mission to the whole world. And uh, for the next eight years after that, until the end of 97, I worked with the Presbyterian Church's Global Mission Ministry Unit okay. as the coordinator of international evangelism. About the end of that time, the uh, Outreach Foundation was growing and uh, needing staff. And so I was invited to join the staff of the Outreach Foundation what year was that? That was in 1998, I began. Okay. And I worked full-time at that until the, a couple of years ago, retiring at the end of 2016. Outreach Foundation at the time was very involved in Africa, mm-hmm. and I had been missionary to Korea in East Asia, so our director at the time, uh, Dr. Bill Bryant, said, why don't you uh, open up new areas? China at that time was on my mind, so I began traveling to China over that 20-year period went, um 26 times. Wow. Another place that was on my heart that the Outreach Foundation had been interested in but had not had the ability to respond to was Egypt. Okay. And so my actual first trip with the Outreach Foundation was China, and the second one was to go to Egypt at the beginning of 1999, and I went nine other times after that. So Egypt was definitely on my heart. And the the third area was Brazil. In this case, it was not something the Outreach Foundation was oriented to, but we heard a call from our Brazilian Presbyterian Church and said, we've got a p- church planting mission, vision, and can you come over and help us? And mm. so I started traveling to Brazil and taking groups there. So that was the third place I spent the most time. So those were the, the places I spent most of my time over the nineteen twenty years.
0: That's great. So you say you started with your work in China when you joined the Outreach Foundation. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the Presbyterian Church in China and some of the challenges
1: that they've seen over the years. Be glad to. The Presbyterians, when they first organized a mission board in 1837, the first missionary appointment was to China. Wow. And folks went as early as 1837, but uh, it was harder to live then, and not all of them survived uh, or were able to stay. So the first kind of full-time permanent Presbyterian missionaries were uh, from the 1840s. Long time and um, for over 150 years presbyterians were involved on the ground in china until the communist party took over china in 1949 okay and then from then until the church reopened publicly uh, in 1981 there were no uh missionaries on the ground mm. but from the early 80s presbyterian church got reinvolved in china and the outreach foundation as a support group within the presbyterian family Wanted to do something, but it wasn't really until I joined the staff in 1998 that we were able to do something intentionally. How did that come about? That came about. That illustrates um, a very interesting side of the Outrage Foundation. First of all, our roots are the Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. so we were invited to go on a trip to uh, China by the staff of the PCUSA and other groups like ours, the Frontier Fellowship, mm-hmm. by name joined us and local church people. So there were about 10 people on a trip to China to see the groundbreaking ceremony in sub-freezing weather of a church in northeast China, the city of Harbin. Okay. The idea was we were going to be invited to become part of the support for this church as a church of 2,000 members had no building. Mm. And so uh, uh, we watched and supported a church that now has 10,000 members. Wow. So it was an amazing thing to see, not only the building, but the growth of the church through the leadership of a wonderful clergy couple, a husband and wife team. Okay. One other thing, I was a missionary to Korea, Mm -hmm. and the people who caught the attention of the denomination, the Presbyterian denomination, were missionaries to Korea who had discovered this on one of their own trips. And they said, you've got to come and see what God is doing. Mm. And they were personal friends of mine, so I was excited to see and was more than impressed with what was going on.
0: Yeah. So how did the Outreach Foundation get involved with that church-building process?
1: The uh, Chinese church in the post-missionary era after 1949 had a very strong sense, we want to do things ourselves. And they talked about the three-self movement Hmm. of supporting ourselves, governing ourselves, and propagating the gospel, Hmm. telling the story about Jesus themselves. But they said, you know, this is really beyond us. And it was going to be a $750,000 project. Mm. They said, we're going to raise two-thirds of the money. Now, this is China in 1998, Mm -hmm. but we need help with the other third. And so we were invited to come along. And so we said, we're going to do this. And so we look for partners in the USA to help us help the Chinese church.
0: Okay. And out of that, have there been other ministries that have developed?
1: Yes. What was exciting about this was that the church was not going to be just a church per se, but a church and a lay training center. Okay. And what we had, had been hearing from the Chinese through other means was that they had a church that was growing phenomenally, exponentially, and they didn't have enough leaders. Mm. For instance, in that particular province, province that's bigger than Texas, mm-hmm. the church had only a few ordained pastors. Really? And so they needed to train more leaders. And so that became the strongest commitment of the Outreach Foundation once that church was built to support the training of leaders in that province, Heilongjiang province, and then to go back to the traditional areas where Presbyterian missionaries had served the most in the areas of the eastern coast near the city of Shanghai, a Nanjing city, a Hangzhou, and Shandong province. We worked to build up the seminary capacity in those eastern coast provinces for most of the rest of our time that we've been working in China.
0: Okay. And that's one of the big connections that the Outreach Foundation has now is through the seminary there.
1: Through the seminaries in in three provinces, but especially in Jiangsu province, Nanjing City, and in Shandong province, the Shandong Theological Seminary. Okay. In addition to bricks and mortar, Mm -hmm. what we felt like was lacking the most uh, in the training was libraries. Seminaries had hardly any books. Mm. And so we heard a cry from the Chinese, we need more books Mm. for our libraries. Our graduates need more books. And so we took that cue and developed a project called the Mini Library Project. Mm. It was for lay leaders, but was also for seminary graduates. And we thought that this would be one way that small churches and large churches could be supportive. And so we asked them, what would a mini library look like? And they thought maybe seven to 10 books okay. for graduates. Um, the total cost would be 50 or $60. And so we spread that throughout the United States as a project. A whole group of Presbyterian women mm-hmm. organization picked it up and funded it generously. And we matched their funds. And so over 10, 15 years, we probably supplied three or 4,000 seminary graduates and lay leaders with these mini libraries.
0: Wow. That's amazing.
1: That's one of the things that we think about uh, most fondly, because it really made a difference in the Chinese church.
0: And was there translation involved, like having to get books translated?
1: That was the good
0: thing, Marcus.
1: There were a certain limited number of books available Mm -hmm. in Chinese that were good books that they had vetted. Right. But they just didn't have the means to to pay for them. Okay. So we supplied the money, and they found the books. Most of them were done inside China, but some came from Hong Kong as well. gotcha. But it was in the Chinese orbit.
0: Great. As the church is growing so incredibly there in China, mm-hmm. I understand there's some challenges, just life as a Christian there. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: That's a good question, Marcus. And it's it needs to be reframed a little bit, though, Okay. because the real challenge is that the government— has, in the last few years, wanted to establish its sense of control over the whole of society. Okay. So it's not necessarily a challenge that's just for Christians, but for all sectors of society, including the religious sector. There are a little bit more rules that are enforced. Mm -hmm. And on the positive side, the government has wanted to crack down on corruption that was rampant. Okay. But on the negative side, you have to watch your P's and Q's for anything. Mm -hmm. And so... We have heard from our friends in different parts of China that they personally are not necessarily being affected by these rules, but uh, they are a little bit more cautious. And in some places, others have said, yes, we have been affected by
0: this. Okay. So it's not like in other parts of the world where they're targeted specifically because of their faith. It's just a general lifestyle.
1: Yes. If Christians are perceived as having too many contacts with people outside who might bring in... Ideas of democracy.
0: Okay, I then see. anything that threatens the government. Anything that
1: threatens the government. Right,
0: that makes sense. So, I understand you've written a little bit recently about your experience in China. Can you share a little bit
1: about that? Sure, I'd be glad to. Oh, as I retired from the Outreach Foundation, I thought it would be good to go back and do a retrospective of, of what has happened over the last twenty years in China, in the church, and what role the Outreach Foundation had to play with that. And so it was. Because of that history that I discovered, the early Presbyterian roots of it, Mm. and uh, how faithful the Christians were there, i drill down deeper into how the Outreach Foundation was prepared uniquely to play a, a role in that early work. Okay. Specifically, key early leaders of the Outreach Foundation, before I was there, heard about what God was doing and wanted to find ways to support. They weren't able to go into China, but they helped in Taiwan. Okay. And then persons that I used to work with in the General Assembly in the World Mission Department were the ones that invited me to go over and make our contribution to the work. So the relationships that we had, both historically and uh, contemporary, uh, set the stage for the work there. Mm. And then also, we discovered... In the history, the places that we helped the most were also very entrepreneurial in their thinking. Okay. You hear stories of Chinese businessmen going all around the world, finding ways to make money. Well, these Chinese Christian leaders found creative ways to share the story of the gospel. Huh. And they were able to scale up their operations using business terms very loosely, but it started with a house church that mm-hmm. became a church of a couple of hundred. And all of a sudden, it was a couple of thousand, and you need different leadership styles. Yeah. And so it was phenomenal to see the quality of leadership that could move with the stages of the church. Not everybody can do that, but I was amazed.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Sounds like there's some valuable lessons there that the, the churches in the United States <laughs> could learn from that.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and as the country has changed and gotten more educated and more wealthy, mm-hmm. The churches have changed also and realized that they had to have a, a more educated leadership and reach to a, a higher affluent class. Mm. And so a few years ago, we discovered a very creative leader in the province of Shandong in eastern China, mm-hmm. starting businessmen's Christian organizations. Interesting. Not mm-hmm. himself, but one of his trusted lay leaders. He's organized Christian business groups in over 100 communities in the Shandong province. Mm. It's just an amazing way of saying, you know, we've got a good news to share. Let's do it with all segments of society and impact all of the aspects of the Chinese world. Yeah, Probably one of the major reasons why the Chinese church has blossomed in the Chinese culture, the idea of helping people that you don't know. In Confucianism, you help people that you do know in terms of relationships. But People that are strangers are not necessarily, that's not part of the Chinese culture, but the Chinese churches, we were told by government officials, they were the first ones to help when it's a disaster. Interesting. To provide relief. Neighbors who were sick, being cared for, prayed for, some in fact healed. Okay. And it was the neighbor love of Chinese Christians that spoke a new word into the Chinese milieu. Mm. And it was exciting and it's resulted in a lot of growth. Now that's not unique to Christians, but it was unique to the Chinese context. Right. For the Chinese context, something that's unique is the Confucian way of life and philosophy has been a wonderful gift for the Chinese society. Mm -hmm. And what some Chinese Christians are trying to do is to say, let's take the best elements of Confucianism and show how Christianity fulfills The Best Aspirations of the Chinese Heart. Yeah. They've done that with that and with Taoism, another one of the Chinese religions. And so it's a work in progress. But as the Chinese church gets more educated, they're they're engaging in that kind of Confucian-Christian dialogue.
0: So instead of putting down the other religions, they're actually taking elements that are relatable— that the people can connect with them on and using that as kind of the the doorway into drawing them in to the church.
1: Another thing that's related is that every culture has proverbs, right? and China is no exception. And some of the proverbs in Chinese that meant the most to me as I was studying Chinese language are very applicable to the Christian faith. For example, when people are of one mind, they can move Mount Tai. Now that's a large mountain in one province. So the idea of working together, and you can talk about that in your sermons.
0: Yeah, And absolutely. there are many
1: other good pithy epigrams like that that people
0: can use. So it's not a completely alienating or new experience when people come to church, they can actually relate to something exactly. that's being shared mm-hmm. and want to know more. As we wrap up here, Jeff, what is it that American churches can learn from what's going on in China, and how has your experience there impacted you personally?
1: My biggest takeaway from the years that I've had in China is that it's not a program and not a process that the, the Chinese have perfected, but what it is that they have a deep seated love of God as known in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And for them, Christ is everything, mm. and they cannot then help but tell others of this good news and to demonstrate it in word and in deed. Yeah. And that is so communicated to the rest of the Chinese society mm. to go back and say how important is Christ to me? Mm. Is he that important that I can't help but share yeah. him with others?
0: Um, Absolutely. That's
1: what China has meant to me.
0: Well, that's fantastic. We're actually going to talk with you again about Egypt in an upcoming episode. So if you want to learn more and to read Jeff's blog posts, they're on our website, theoutreachfoundation.org slash blog. And you can look up what he's written there. Jeff, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. And we look forward to hearing about Egypt in our next
1: episode. Thank you, Marcus.